the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Time to get into the big old bag of mail. Here to send you off into your weekend on a high note. And if you're all the way up there, if you're at the top of the mountain, if you're living that mountain life, you know that this week Paramount Plus went live that's right live sports breaking news a mountain of entertainment paramount plus can go straight from game day to movie night you can stream iconic movies like the godfather indiana jones mission impossible and new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like star trek picard the good fight and the stand and get this it's where you're going to be able to dive into live sports from cbs sports that's the nfl march madness right around the corner the masters and champions league soccer always ongoing, plus stream hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Smithsonian Channel, and Comedy Central, live sports, breaking news, a mountain of entertainment, Paramount Plus, streaming now. Go and download it. You got multiple tiers that you can sign up for. Uh, It is going to be uh, where you can get many, many, many of the fine options on CBS Sports and others. Uh, from the Viacom CBS family. So, gentlemen, uh, I hope we are are doing well. How's how's everybody feeling here as we uh, as we wrap up the week? I'm great. I'm watching Paramount Plus. Good. <laughs> I'm fired up. Big weekend here at the Canal household. 16 years of marriage celebrated Friday, Ooh. March 5th. So, we made it this far, baby. No turning back now. Yeah, she's stuck now, man. Exactly. 16. <laughs> She's vested. So what was the uh what was the timetable? Do you remember like what you were doing in like the February cuz uh, March 5th sounds like it was a strategically placed uh oh, yeah. date. Yeah, so do off you- season NFL off season. Right. So I actually had a pretty good bachelor party run. <laughs> like there were a couple things. There was um I believe that was the Super Bowl was in Jacksonville that year. I believe. And I went up to the Super Bowl and Super Bowl has good parties. There was a Playboy party that was there that was always at the time was the legendary party. So had a good time there. And then probably the kicker was it. So our off season workout started the first week of April. So the best part about getting married was our honeymoon. So we honeymooned for a month because you can do those types of things when you're an NFL athlete, right? <laughs> like you can't do those if you're just some working Joe, you just see ya. So we actually went around the world on our honeymoon. And that was the way I approached it was like, hey, I'm never going to be able to take a month off ever again. And maybe shouldn't have then either because I was cut six months later. <laughs> Mike Shanahan probably didn't love the trip around the world. Um, 
but it was uh, it was pretty cool. So that was definitely the highlight and why it was strategically placed in March. Plus, March in Florida, I could show you guys outside. It's 78 and sunny right now. And, you know, we had all my buddies in from around the country. We had a blast, man. It was a ton of fun. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that was the um, Super Bowl in Jacksonville. Eagles and Patriots. Patriots, yep. Paul McCartney is the halftime show. That's a wow. that's a it was a really solid Super Bowl right there. There you go. Yeah, I'm gonna have thrown up. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> that is a hundred percent right. Uh all right. Let's go ahead and dive on into this big old bag of mail. And we're gonna begin with a fun one. This is uh I I love when the, the listeners become uh part of the universe here. Um and this one is from he says B Rabbit is his name. Let me begin by heaping praise on the addition of Bud. Reminiscent of when the Pistons traded for Rasheed Wallace in the 2003-2004 season, already a very good team, but needed to secure the last piece of their championship puzzle. I thoroughly enjoyed the CFC, the Coaches Fighting Challenge, a couple episodes ago. Go back and listen to it. Uh, Picking conference winners by coach fights. I believe, I believe it might even be in the headline. If not, it's in the description. It was a couple mailbags ago, so go ahead and go check it out. Uh, a couple episodes ago, with that in mind, I have a two-pronged question for y'all in either or. If you will, any questions, you can call me at 281-330-8004. I said. So he, <laughs> he, got, our, he got our Mike Jones uh, number for us. Who would you assemble for your starting five in basketball with a sixth man off the bench out of current college coaches and what positions would you select them for? Your selections can come from any FBS team and other than head coaches may include OCs, DCs and strength team, uh, special teams coaches. After you pick your lineup, who would you select as the head coach of your basket coach team? <laughs> and I've got his answers too. And he also has another uh, part of this, which I think was just going to be better to read, which is uh, him picking a coach for all the different kinds of drinking games. And I found that drinking games sometimes can be like regional, you know, not everyone plays the same games by the same rules. So I wanted to at least stick this to a more fluent language, which would be the game of basketball. I have, uh, my starting five, um, who would like did to you go guys first? do assistant coaches too? No, no I just did. Head I just coaches. did head coach. Okay, good. Cause I didn't either, but I'm no a little bit bummed because my first choice for my basketball player of football coaches uh, team would have been Nick Hill of Southern Illinois, who just knocked off North Dakota state. He was a two sport athlete at Southern Illinois, played quarterback and basketball. And uh, he's only 35 years old. Like he's younger. That was going to be my ringer. Dang it. But he's off the board apparently. So it's only FBS. So, all right. I, I mean, I'll give it to you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 Tom's, Tom's, then- Tom's holding me to uh, hold me to the letter of the law. Uh, okay. All right. Who wants to go first? I will. I'll go. All right. Go no, ahead. No, you, you go. Okay. So um, my, first of all, my head coach is going to be uh, somebody with NBA experience. Okay. NBA is what in Tuscaloosa they call the noontime basketball association. We've heard about it all throughout the Nick Saban tenure. It's kind of part of his uh, coaching staff, team building camaraderie, 
but because of uh, you know some so, some minor work that's been done along the way, he, he can't you know he ain't got it quite like he used to. Uh, he did tell Devonta Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, that he's got some kind of mechanically loaded spring in his hip that he's really excited about. That probably gives him an extra burst. But I think he was kidding when he said that. So Nick Saban's going to be my head coach. So then I, I start to build out the group, and it's got to start with not only one of the youngest coaches, but just one of the, the tallest. I mean, we're playing basketball here. Six seven. Sean Lewis, the head coach of Kent State, is going to end up uh, probably being on the taller end. Also down low, I'm going to put Nebraska's Scott Frost. I just feel like he's got a, a good body for it. He can probably play above the rim. Uh, then it's a little bit more of a, a three-guard lineup, but we'll start with my two wing players. On one end, we've got somebody who is all state in both football and basketball in the state of Kentucky in high school. We're talking about West Virginia's Neil Brown. I think that guy can get out there and hoop. And then on the other end, uh, out of the Pride of Wake Forest, I don't know this for sure, but I would bet that just like as Danny has said, and we've heard from football players all over the place, every football player plays in basketball intramurals and lights the frat boys up. I bet Josh Gaddis uh, had had the work for some Wake Forest frat boys uh, in the Wake Forest intramural league. So uh, Michigan offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis is going to be my other wing. My point guard is a little bit undersized. Big time chip on the shoulder guy. But, you know, he's he's got to be the coach on the floor. Nick Saban's a little undersized. So Boston College's Jeff Halfley, who keeps a list of all the haters in his wallet, I think that he's kind of scrappy. He can be someone that everyone can get around on. And then my sixth man is somebody also with NBA experience, but always on the outside looking in, forever just one spot away from the big dance. Kirby Smart, congratulations, you're on the bench and you're not in the starting five. So uh, Nick Saban is coach, Halfley, Gaddis, Neil Brown, Scott Frost, Sean Lewis, and Kirby Smart uh, as my sixth man. That is my uh, basket coach lineup. We've got, we've got a lot of crossover on ours. I, I also have Nick Saban as my coach because I feel like a basketball coach more than anything. I need, I need somebody who's going to know how to get on the officials, and I trust that Nick's going to get on the officials for me so i made him my coach we both i also have sean lewis because six he's six seven <laughs> and he's only 34 so you know he's still in shape and that is something that to me when i was going through these coaches trying to figure out who i wanted i, I was skewing towards the younger because basketball not an old man's game you, you got to be somewhat young to play it and play it well uh my sixth man was jeff halfley he's on there i also have neil brown because like you said two sports star my other coaches that i have are lincoln riley who I'm not exactly sure how tall he is, but he's young. And I think he's about six, two, six, three, because when you see him standing next to like, yeah, you see him standing next to his quarterbacks. He's about an inch or two taller than them. So I think he's got some good size. I've got my point guard, scrappy guy, guy who never runs out of energy guy. Who's going to be slapping the floor, pissing off the other team, drawing charges, PJ Fleck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for and sure. F- finally, the last player, my last guy in my starting lineup. I got I got some inside scoop on this guy. He he was a good basketball player in high school. He was scrappy. He's more of an undersized four. He'll also take charges. He'll dive for loose balls. He can hit the mid-range jumpers. I'm taking Vanderbilt's Clark Lee. Mm. Mm. I like that a lot. All right, who wants to go next? Danny, go ahead. All right. My point guard. 
I'm going speed my lineup. All right. I got Willie Taggart. A lot of uh, Willie Taggart, head coach at FAU. A lot of my guys are former quarterbacks because most quarterbacks, dual sport athletes, even three sport athletes in high school. So I'm going to go with an athletic lineup here. A lot of quarterbacks in mine. Uh, my shooting guard will be David Shaw. Going a little bit, you know, younger guy. He's competitive. He's in good shape. Like he's got the physique. I think my team can run. At my three, I'm going to go with Ron Dugans, my wide receiver coach at Florida State. My oh. old teammate who also <laughs> would have some continuity with Willie Taggart having, uh, you know, coached on the staff there. So they got some good feel for each other. Then at the four, I think you guys are missing out on somebody in the SEC and it's not a part of the NBA. It's Brian Harson, younger, Ooh. younger guy. Compared, mm. Like, I think he's the, like the silent assassin. Yeah, he can be your kind of rough guy uh, out there. Can be an enforcer? But I have two. So I got speed at the one, two, and three. So I can run circles. And I got some enforcers at the four and five spots. For my big, I'm going big with Mario Cristobal. Again, <laughs> another like former offensive lineman. He's tall. I might, it, I might be a little bit older at some of these spots, but I can use, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna clear the rim. We're going to have a rim protector. We got it all settled. And then my sixth man is Jim Harbaugh, who is going to be irritated that he didn't start. So he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder, and he's just going to be a wild man who probably gets into foul trouble anyway. So then we get him out, and we kind of rotate him in there. My coach is probably the hardest thing I had to go with. Like, I'm trying to decide who do I think would be the best coach I'll go with Les Miles of Kansas, the quirky personality, but he's hyper competitive. If you remember the basketball videos when he was at LSU with his kids, he obviously likes basketball. Uh, I think he'd be perfect for all these big personalities to keep him loose. So I got Les Miles as my head coach. I mean, he is at Kansas, so you got to figure he knows how to coach Ah, basketball. Very good call. So good call. Yeah. That was him swatting his kids, right? That was the old yes. commercial. Yes, he was just <laughs> rejecting his children's shot. And then my other thought is 100%. What, what is Jim Harbaugh on a basketball team? Five hard fouls, baby. Five yep. hard <laughs> fouls. Defend the rim. Make them earn that at the line. Love it. All right, bud. I mean, like, you, you want Harbaugh on, on your, your YMCA team, right? Yes. yes. Like, for sure. Yeah. You don't um, want to play against him, that's no. for sure, too. No, he's, he's got to be annoy- annoying as hell. So you guys, you guys took mo- shirtless on the sideline with a sweatband chugging milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you, you guys had a lot of mine. Um, Neil Brown, I, I think, was was a really obvious one. Um, you know, Willie Taggart was a, a damn good high school quarterback, especially you know, running around. And uh, I believe he had to wait his turn for Tommy Frazier, right? So, like, you know, fa- fairly decent team he was on there. Sean Lewis is the guy I picked to win the whole fight tournament. So at six foot seven, still in good shape. And in, in the Sean Lewis fan, I was trying to think about guys who were tight ends, right? Um, I don't know what, what what position Campbell played at Iowa State, but he's not he's not tiny, you know. But big. but yeah. Uh, but I one guy who who Twitter gave me a lot of flack for for not mentioning in the coaches fight tournament is a dude who was an all state wrestler, was a you know scholarship guy at Ohio State. Uh, defensive end, Luke Fickle. So I'm going to go ahead and win down low with Sean Lewis and Luke Fickle. We'll, we'll run around the perimeter with with Neil Brown, Willie Taggart, and uh, and I, I actually couldn't figure out who who to be my, my three. Um, but may, I'll, I'll go ahead and take Campbell for that. Campbell, uh, Mount Union, big uh, mid-major energy right yeah. there. Cinderella story. Okay, so B-Rabbit 
said, point guard, Lincoln Riley, seems like a natural fit at point guard, assumed passing and scoring creativity. Shooting guard, uh, Marcus Freeman, Cincinnati's uh, defensive coordinator, was in the NFL as late as 2009. At his age, still has a lot of athletic superiority over opponents. Small forward, Lane Kiffin, need his on-court trash talking. Power forward, great one, Antonio Pierce. Uh, former longtime NFL linebacker, believe he could easily body up with any opposing coach. At center, Brian Van Gorder. <laughs> <laughs> Can picture him being an absolute terror fighting for rebounds. His sixth man, Jim Leonard, assumed he would be a lockdown defender and bring some juice off the vi- off the bench. Went with him over Venables due to Jim Leonard being 38 and Brent Venables being 50. Head coach, Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. Okay, then he said, uh, who, who would you select for a beer fest style drinking team? His suggestions <laughs> were for beer pong, he would have uh, Brian Brom, tons of success as a QB at Louisville, would need him to use those same abilities to clear 10 cups. For the shotgun race, Brett Bielema, a guy just seems like he can chug a beer. For quarters, Tommy Reese. Somewhat successful college quarterback. You need dexterity and accuracy for quarters. Thumper. I I haven't seen Beer Fest in a long time. I might need y'all to remind me what Thumper is, but he got Kendall Bryles would make up the most complex hand motions, and I assume he would remember the other players' motions. Is it like a copycat game? Thumper? I don't know what Thumper I, is. I don't know what Thumper is. We, we, we might be, be telling ourselves here. I, it's, okay, what 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 is Thumper? I think you're the youngest of us. Well, no, it's, the table. it's from it uh, it, yeah, it's a copycat game because all these yeah. are in the movie uh, Beer Fest, and that was like you had to put together your squad and you had to figure out who had the best uh, skills for the certain things. Uh, Flip Cup, Carl Durrell. Ooh, good wide receiver when he was at UCLA. Soft hands will serve him well in this game. And then last pick, your anchorman. The anchorman is in the Das Boot Relay, um, Eddie O, which I imagine is uh, Ed Ogeron. Any any drinking game coaches that you would uh, make he adjustments to? a couple to? of the first ones. I was going Brett Bielema, the number one draft pick. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's for any game. Like, who cares what <laughs> game it is? You're just talking beer. That Brett Bielema would be the top of the list. Um, I, see, if I'm putting together a team and flip cups, part of the, the event, I, I don't need a coach. I am, I'm a flip cup <laughs> champion. So I'll take that one. Me. I'm, I'm going to take me first of all, <laughs> let's go. All right. This, uh, next one, we're jumping into NFL draft talk. Uh, it's going to be a big part of our March and April as we count down to the NFL draft at the end of that month. And also we'll get a, get a chance to go back with a little review. So to sort of kick off the NFL draft season here on the cover three podcast. We've got a question from Brojo 18. If Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson would have switched teams for the 2020 season, is it possible that Zach would have put up better numbers with the tigers than Trevor did with them? Zach spent the entire year throwing to white dads and he was missing arguably his best pass catcher in Matt Bushman. What say you? And for the purposes of our discussion, I'd also like to do the full Freaky Friday and put uh, Zach Wilson on Clemson, Trevor Lawrence on BYU. Uh, how much do you think the teams impacted the performance of these two likely first-round NFL draft quarterbacks in 2020? Zach Wilson is not putting up better numbers at Clemson than Trevor Lawrence did, period. Yeah. 
Uh, he could if he didn't get COVID because, you know, Trevor That's a good Lawrence point. missed two games. True, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's that argument. Um, remember I told you guys, I think I told you guys on here, there's going to be one. There's going to be somebody who says the number one quarterback is not Trevor Lawrence. And sure enough, what happened a couple days ago? It was Chris Sims. Chris Sims goes out there and does it. And I, it's interesting because I've he seen count? Does, does he work for us? No, he doesn't work for us. NBC like, Sports. Uh, with Florio, right? He does pro football talk. Uh, you know, so he's like a name in NFL yeah. media. Yeah, okay. yeah, and he does. He's an NFL guy, so he does more NFL. They do all NFL on their show, but every year he does do a quarterback uh, specific, uh, you know, ranking of quarterbacks. And, and he's been good. He's made a couple calls that have ended up looking okay, right? Yeah, I think he's made a couple good calls and he's made a couple bad calls. Like, I don't think he's anything specially good or specially bad. Like, I don't think it's one way or another. Um, but I I don't know. It's interesting because I saw some people saying like, hey, at least somebody's against the grain. Well, good luck with that. Like, go ahead. If you want to be against the grain, if you're a if you were a front office member or a GM or a coach and you were in charge of selecting quarterbacks for this year's draft, there is zero chance you would put your livelihood on the line by taking a flyer on Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. Like it's one thing to do it and it's fun to be the contrarian. And I don't mind that line of thinking all the time. And you could make a case and you could look at different film and you could, you could, you could definitely portray this situation. But to me, that's exactly what this is. This is entertainment that Chris Sims is providing, providing us with. And of course there is a chance that, you know, Zach Wilson gets drafted and he's in a better situation than Jeff. Let's say Urban Meyer is a disaster in the NFL. I'm not saying he will be. Let's say he's overmatched. The players don't like him. There's a revolt. And, you know, Darrell Bevel doesn't, you know, maybe there's a conflict between coaches and Trevor Lawrence doesn't work out the first five years. Yeah, there's a chance Zach Wilson could be better his first five years. There's a chance he could have a better NFL career, but not one person would make that decision based on what we've seen up to this point from both those quarterbacks. And Zach Wilson's good, but there's no way you're taking him over uh, Trevor Lawrence. You know yeah. who else was missing his number one quarterback or n- number one receiver this year? Trevor Lawrence. Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. Justin Ross m- m- yeah. missed the whole year. And then Frank Ladson and Joe Nagata also got hurt. They ended up, um, who is it? Uh, Corn- the, the- Cornell Powell and Amari Cornell Rogers. Powell yeah. all of a sudden be- be- became a stud. But like, you know, it wasn't like Trevor was was throwing to dudes who were were proven studs. I mean, that, that team had a whole lot of uncertainty on it as well. I, and you know, you may be throwing to to white dads as as the the questioner said, but he's also like those guys are being covered by white dads too, or you know, guys who aren't even good enough to play play at BYU. I I think Zach Wilson's pretty good, but I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the rare dude that we have seen since he was 14 years old, ball out, get hyped up more, come up, meet those expectations. Okay, ball out again, expectations raised, and just continues to meet him. It's like he's just always rising to the occasion. That it's freaky. Now you know what's interesting. There's a former, there's a uh, a coach on the Vanderbilt staff who did at one time on the Cover Three podcast say that when they were coming out of high school, and Bud, you'll probably remember this coming from Barton, that he was higher on Justin Fields as a prospect and Justin Fields looked like the lock and looked like the guy that stood out that everybody was talking about when they were throwing next to each other uh, with Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. And I was kind of surprised to hear that because I knew they came both came out with really massive expectations. 
They were both, you know, five-star guys who were heavily recruited. But I was surprised to, to hear Barton say that. They were, now, you could have late bloomers. You could have guys who develop a little bit more. And maybe Justin Fields had already tapped out and was, you know, already kind of the Justin Fields he is now. Maybe Trevor Lawrence kind of honed in a little bit over the last few years. But I was a little bit surprised to hear that at the time. And he wasn't by any means saying that he would have taken Justin Fields first in, a, in an NFL draft. But I thought that was an interesting uh, thought that Barton had here not that long ago. So I, I, so I will say this. Justin Fields did not finish ahead of Trevor in the final 24-7 sports rankings. I think he actually moved ahead of him for like a month or so. And that was largely because of what he did that summer, like o- over the camp circuit in the opening finals, in, in the Elite 11 finals. The guy was just unreal. And a lot of the thinking was, okay, he's just as athletic as, as, as Trevor is. He was a baseball guy, and he's coming over to football, like hasn't played nearly as much football as Trevor I mean, his ascendancy, like like his arc was just going, you know, straight up, right? And and he did outplay Trevor at, at at the opening finals. Like the guy just didn't miss the throw, and it was it was you know big balls and and it was touch. And he tested off the charts and had, had certainly had the look of a guy who's going to be a stud. I, I think probably is a stud, but I I was more of a Trevor guy. Very close, by the way. Like, I mean, just because the track record was okay, this guy has done it and carried his team to states every single year in, in a good division in Georgia over and over and over again. Um, but like they were both really, really good coming out of high school. Like they would be number one overall players in any other year, pretty much. And they just happen to both be in the same year. Yeah. I'll say this. If Trevor Lawrence is on BYU, they don't lose to coastal Carolina. No, he doesn't get they don't. ragdolled before the half either. No, they like, get, they, they're killing everybody. Cause that's like, <clears throat> I don't, I, we've been talking about this for a bit. I don't want to go too far into it, but like in, I had my first mock draft of the spring go up last week. It's, you know, you read it at cbssports.com or find it at the top of my Twitter page. But like the crazy thing to me with Zach Wilson is <clears throat> I think Zach Wilson, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I think he's a very good player. I think he's very talented. But I think what happens when it comes to draft evaluation, particularly with quarterbacks, is we already know Trevor Lawrence is awesome. So people kind of just back off of that. Justin Fields is to presume number two. But then everybody starts looking for the next thing because they're tired of watching these two guys. So they're not only looking for the next guy to folk to kind of hype up, but they're also looking for anybody that reminds them in any way of what the hot, cool new thing is in the NFL. And what's the hot, cool new thing? It's Patrick Mahomes. So they find Zach Wilson and they see a guy with arm strength. They see a guy with talent. They see a guy making throws off platform with weird arm angles. And it's like, hey. This guy reminds me of Patrick Mahomes. And then it's like, wow, look at how accurate his throws are. Well, look at how wide open the receivers he's throwing to are at the same time. And it's you, it's easy to look a lot more accurate when your target is open by five yards than it is when it's in a tight window. So I think Zach Wilson is good. I think we've reached a point where it's crazy <clears throat> that we not only have somebody saying he's better than Trevor Lawrence, I think it's crazy to say he's better than Justin Fields. Agreed. I think Justin Fields has everything Zach Wilson has, except he's proven he has a very accurate arm and he's done it against much stiffer competition for years. So I'm, Well, uh, there might have been the more controversial take was having Kellen Mond over <laughs> Justin Fields in Chris Sims' top five. Like, that's what I'm saying. Take it as entertainment because that's what it is. So if you're, uh, running, if you're running a five-yard slant offense, maybe Kellen Mond is more valuable than Justin Fields. But they got Fields. what they wanted out of it yeah. because we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean, like, like uh, it's, it's it's hot takery for for the for the hope that that other you know other written sites will aggregate it and we'll talk about it, which we did because it's fun off season content. So good job, Chris Sims. <laughs> um, 
I'm not going to allege, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to allege fabrication, but I'm just going to mention a, a couple sets of measurements here. Um, six foot three, 210 pounds, six foot three, 228 pounds. Sounds like those are probably like two pretty similar body types, right? Because the first one is BYU lying about Zach Wilson. And the second one is Justin Fields, maybe underselling how big he actually is. If Zach Wilson is as tall as Justin Fields, well, then you know what? I'm 6'4", right? Like, I mean, there's just no way that those two human beings lined up next to each other are only going to be about 18 pounds apart because Zach Wilson, yes, he, he does have a pretty good frame, but he doesn't have the, the thickness that Fields does. Fields is absolutely taller and I think that when we watch those plays of Wilson making the throws off platform, extending the plays with his legs and keeping his eyes down the field, he's not dealing with the kind of closing speed of defensive ends and linebackers and cornerbacks that Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or any of them did. Like Trevor Lawrence would never have had that much time when a play breaks down to be able to wait for something to happen. Zach Wilson's very, very talented but he's not 6'3", or at the very least, he's not as tall as Justin Fields, mm. and he is not, uh, he should not be ranked, in my opinion, ahead of Fields or Lawrence. Yeah, and just, I want to reiterate, and I think the three of you will all agree, none of us think Zach Wilson is bad or right. is not worthy of being a first-round pick. It's just, that's kind of what happens when it comes, when you start analyzing QBs, especially for the NFL draft, it's like, if you don't think the guy's number one, then everybody's saying that you think he sucks. I don't think any of us think he sucks. I think that any of us will understand if he's a top 10 pick. It's just, for my evaluation and for what I see going forward, I think it's somewhat silly to consider him in the same level as Fields and Lawrence. You know what's crazy, though, and this is, I think, where we can do this whole discussion another time, is there are probably going to be five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Two of them are definitely going to be busts, or what we would call busts, like not starting quarterbacks in four to five years, and maybe three of them. You know, like, that's the reality of the situation that we're dealing with, so... I don't know that that to me is the more fun like which because I think if I was a, if I was the guy making that call I would take the safest pick now that's me by nature I would take the one that I've seen the most film with the most success with but there's always that potential that's there and somebody's going to want to take a swing and it was Jordan Love last year the Packers took him and who knows he might still work out he still might be that guy but we overdraft quarterbacks like in it's crazy now how many quarterbacks go in the first round and it's because they don't have to pay them as much money as they used to and because of the value of the position and teams are like, yep, we'll take them. We'll see if we can develop. If not, three years, we'll move on. We'll take another one. Plus, I think you is. get the extra year on the rookie deal when you take them in the first round too. Yep. But, uh, but uh, impromptu mailbag question, since we're speaking now of quarterbacks who might go in the first round, do we have any reaction to both Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith both saying without hesitation that they like Mac Jones as a quarterback more than Tua? Like, do you think that's them saying that just to help Mac before the draft? Or do you think there's something to it? I think Mac Jones is better than Tua as well. Like, I thought Tua – see, I, I was worried, and I'm a Dolphins fan, and I was not thrilled that they – not wasn't not like wasn't like I was mad, but I would have rather taken Justin Herbert. I was kind of hoping that that was the move they were going to make. Um, but then when they took Tua, I'm like, all right, let's root for him. I think Tua – got caught up in a lot of, oh, he's the reason this Bama offense looks so great and look at the difference that he made when in reality it was Lane Kiffin 
you know, Steve Sharkeesian, like taking over this offense and letting all of those athletes truly perform the way that they were capable of instead of holding back an offense and saying, let's be a little bit more conservative. Let's not take as many risks. And so everyone was like, Ooh, there's Tua. Like it's all Tua. And I think what Mac Jones proved is that it wasn't Tua. It was really the system, which does at the same time, it makes me a little bit nervous about Mac Jones as well. Like what does he do when he gets around talent that's neutralized where you don't have that much of an edge? Now I like him, but I think it's definitely a worthy question of Mac Jones is, you know, and I think it's worthy to question any Alabama quarterback from now on. And really since Tua, what, how much of an advantage is it when you have all day, to throw when you have guys that are wide open and when they're wide open, they catch it and run for 40 yards. Like I think, and you have a running back you can hit it off to in case you get in trouble as well. Like, I think those are all valid questions to ask for any Alabama quarterback. I think that, uh, Tua had like, you know, one extra spot at the table for dinner one night. Uh, maybe they were going to AJ McCarron's sushi restaurant in Tuscaloosa. Agent. <laughs> and uh, don't forget too. Don't forget too the way Tua got to play and the rumors that were, hey, if he didn't get to play, he was gonna leave. Like Tua came in with a big personality and a big expectation, and he was going to play, and he kind of got his way into that lineup. Remember Mac Jones waited his opportunity you know, kind of earned it the hard way. And I think that might play into some of these opinions as well. But Danny, I, if you talk to guys who were on that team or on that staff, they knew all year that Tua was a lot better than Jalen Hurts was. And they right. were begging for Tua, for, for, for Tua to play over Hurts. Like they knew Hurts was holding back that offense because it's throwing. And like it took up to like, like literally they were about to lose the national championship because that's how limited, you know, Hurts was as a passer at that time. I think he's probably better in the NFL now. Um, so you know, credit to him, but like, I think if I was two, I'd be pissed too. That if I'm clearly balling out in practice and I'm better than the guy that, that they keep playing over me. And the, the reason why they, they're not making the switch is because we're winning. I mean, they were undefeated that year, but it wasn't because of hurts, but I agree. Like I, I think that Tua did have some growing up to do when he got to Alabama, just, you know, I, I, I think I forgot who told me there's this. a lot to like it. he I mean, and Najee room together to his dad is a big personality. He had his brother on the stick. There was a family lot had moved, moved to Tuscaloosa there to Tuscaloosa. Like there was a lot going on there. That's it, common though. Like yeah. I don't think people realize that if you sign a big time recruit, you're oftentimes the, the family is finding a way to move very close to that big time recruit. So Danny, are you trading to it at Houston for Deshaun? All day long, oh, if I could, if I can what? get the deal. Just, what kind of I question just, is that? Just, I just wanted, you know, yeah, to clarify. Like, I don't. I think you would ask almost any Dolphin fan; they would too. Because I was thinking, like, as a Bears fan, like with the Russell Wilson stuff last week, I was, I went, I was sitting there thinking, is there a single player on my team's roster right now that I wouldn't trade for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson? And I could not think of a single one. So that you would not, you would that you, I would not trade. Yes. I mean, can't. All right. Uh, before we hit the break, Bud, I love the addition of Bud to the podcast. Can he tell me the best material to study for the LSAT? Um, so my buddy and I, who uh, practices in, in South Florida now, he, he does, uh, I believe he does condo law. Uh, we took the LSAT class, to, which South Florida is a pretty good place to do condo law. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we took the LSAT prep class together and... I don't want to disparage them. So they basically taught it to like 
they, they, they had a guarantee like you would, you would increase your score, right? I, I hadn't taken it before, but um, they were kind of going like super slow, I think, so that they wouldn't have to pay out the guarantee. So like they were, they were, it was more of a class of like raising the floor rather than like, let's, let's really get after this thing. And the teacher was just kind of teaching to the books. So we kind of just quit the class and kept the books um, and studied together at our own pace. And I think that was much better. Like we got to a lot more material uh, and kind of did it in our own way than we were going to do with, with the course. So it worked out really well. Coming up on the other side, the big bowl games, they are prestigious. They have long histories. So we are going to open up our own personal favorites, head down some memory lane, our favorite orange sugar rose and fiesta bowl next the all-new hyundai 2024 santa fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family the all-new hyundai santa fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure what kind of features well how about the available h-track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or the standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This next question Fun pod as always. Thanks to all, thanks to you all and all the hard work you put in to make Cover 3 the great success that it has become. Question. When you think of the major bowl games, Orange, Sugar, Rose, and Fiesta, which one is the most memorable to you, one from each category? I think bowl games, unfortunately, have been downgraded in the playoff era and would love to hear your favorite games from each of the four. I've got a Fiesta Bowl that stands up in mind. Go for it. Miami shows up in the fatigues. Penn State, with literally no offense, picks them off six times. It's Toretta, right, Danny? Uh, No, that was Vinny Testaverde, I believe. Oh, okay. I think so, yeah. Um, I, I remember watching that, you know, when I was, when I was younger and I mean, six picks, it, it was, it was very much like one of the first instances I, I think of like national media getting involved in hyping up a, a real college bowl game like, like that. Right. And, you know, they, they, they refused to, to eat dinner at the pregame, you know, banquet thing to, together with Penn state. And then they, they were really cocky going in and, and in Miami, I see a little bit of crow because it turns out, yeah, Penn state can't score, but they have a lot of future NFL guys on their defense and they, they, they they get six picks and end up winning that game. So that's that's a good one to find on YouTube if you're uh, if you're done watching us on YouTube for the day. 
Mine are uh, mostly recent. Go ahead, Tom. I was, I, my favorite, I, I've got a lot of Rose Bowl ones. Obviously, the Rose Bowl has always been my favorite game, but just in recent years, I feel like the back-to-back seasons with the Oklahoma-Georgia playoff semi that went to overtime. And then the year before that, the USC-Penn State 52-49 to mm-hmm. game was fantastic. There's tons of great Rose Bowls that I love, though. My favorite Orange Bowl might be a bit off the radar, and I know it's not going to be popular on this podcast, but the reason it's my favorite is because I was at, you know, a friend's house for a New Year's Day party kind of deal. And we were getting ready to watch the game. And a friend of mine was a big Florida State fan. And he didn't go to Florida State, wasn't from Florida, just came a big Florida State fan, a kid from suburban Chicago somehow. And they were playing Oklahoma in the BCS championship game. And, I, and Oklahoma was a huge underdog. And I was like, I'll take Oklahoma and the points. And it was a hundred bucks, which at the time for us being college kids was a lot. Oklahoma 13, Florida State two. Hmm. That game sucked. I mean, (laughs) this sets off debates still of if you are hired away, should uh, should you coach as a coordinator in a bowl game? Because this is the game... That Mark Richt had been hired, he stayed on to call the plays, and I mean, look, that was a good Oklahoma defense, and John Blake had done a really nice job recruiting that roster that Bob Stoops took over. But I mean, there was there was something wrong with that offense that day, right? Like Danny, I'm I'm not crazy here. That was Oklahoma deserved to win based on how Florida State played, but also FSU kind of beat themselves a little bit that game with two points with the Heisman winner. I went to the game. I was there in person. It was gross. Uh, it was pretty bad. And Mark Rick's my guy. I don't. I always wonder. Like I, if I was a coach, like the head coach, my coordinator was leaving. I think me personally, I would say, good luck. Go ahead. Like you go all in on that. Now we've seen it work other ways too. We've seen coaches stay on and win national championships and then go. Um, you know. So we've seen it work both ways. That would be my personality. Um, but that one definitely. Uh, stung a little bit. That one was great. It was just a, a horrible performance uh, from Florida State. I, for my bowl, the Rose Bowl, I think, you know, the granddaddy of them all gets a lot of attention. I'm a little bit partial to the Orange Bowl. Um, played in three of them, went to it a bunch, even to some regular season games, to Dolphins games. But I do almost prefer the Orange Bowl at the orange at the old Orange Bowl, the real Orange Bowl, when it was nasty and dirty, and they had, you know, the urinals were just like the the wall that you pee yeah, on, the wall, the trough, like the, yeah, just the trough that was there. And what Wrigley Field and, still is today, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you could go out, and you could see like the stands literally would be bouncing, you could see it. But there were some unbelievable games historically. Um, Miami, when it won the uh, national championship in 84, um, after a failed two-point conversion by Nebraska, there was Coach Bowden's first national championship game, which I was a part of, uh, in 93. Um, There was Colorado and Notre Dame when um, the Rocket was returning kicks. I mean, there was some unbelievable games. For whatever reason, I feel like the Orange Bowl has kind of taken a back seat recent and recent history and there's been some good games but um i don't know that one to me always because it's local because i played in it it's kind of a it's got a special place for me so the fiesta bowl uh boise state oklahoma Mm -hmm. uh it's sort of you know iconic for a lot of different ways also and you know in that in the bcs era we've got the weird like 
it's the BCS national championship game, but it also is, uh, the bowl game, but, uh, Auburn over Oregon was a Fiesta Bowl game. The the Cam Championship, Michael Dyer was he down? For there's a I I'm kind of on the other side of it where I look at those Sugar Bowls and I just you know from uh, LSU not being able to cross midfield. You know there's there's a, a lot of I mean LSU winning the national championship in New Orleans just a year ago, but I actually threw uh, Florida State Virginia Tech on there just because you know. Uh, that Peter Warwick, Michael Vick, you know, like the, if it was a high scoring game, like even as Vick, like he provided enough of a spark that even though it never looked like Florida state was going to lose, you weren't quite ready to put that game to bed bed yet. So that was my favorite sugar bowl for the Rose bowl. You're right. There have been many, but I don't think anybody mentioned Vince young, Texas, USC yeah. Rose bowl. That's, I thought that was like a given. That was like such an obvious one that it's just, too it's easy. gotta be mentioned, man. It's gotta be mentioned. <laughs> And like, then I could do 15 different Rose Bowls. That's the <laughs> Well, and so for Orange Bowl, I went for one very very early in my personal uh and I'm sorry to to be dating uh anybody on this podcast, but one one of my uh you know, early college football memories is Tommy Frazier and Nebraska takes down Miami in the Orange Bowl in 1995 or 1994 season 1995. So that was one that I had on there for the Orange Bowl. But I agree with y'all. It's it's tough like I, that's where I would like a plus one model. That's where I would be fine if we just went back to the AP voters. Cause then I think each of the bowl games, if you do like the pomp and circumstance around it, then it at least is maintained in some way. Right. Yeah. And for my sugar bowl picks, there was, there was a three year stretch that I really enjoyed just for kind of trollish laughing at people reasons. It was first the 2013 Sugar Bowl. Number 22, Louisville, beats number four, Florida, 33 to 23. And we're told that it only happened because Florida didn't want to be there. The next year, number 10, Oklahoma, beats number three, Alabama, 45 to 31. And again, we're told by SEC fans it's because Alabama didn't want to be there. The next year, January 1st, 2015, the very first year of the college football playoff, Number four, Ohio State, the team that shouldn't have been in the playoff, beats number one, Alabama, 42 to 35. And we weren't be able to be told that it wasn't because Alabama didn't want to be there. So watching, watching top five SEC teams lose three straight Sugar Bowls to much lower ranked teams from the Big 12, the ACC, and the Big Ten in consecutive years, just during the time, the height of the SEC being the best conference in football by a wide margin was just, it was just a nice counterweight for those three seasons. So it's like, if you weren't an SEC fan, at least you could go to those games. Oh, also, can we, can we point out that like Denny was somewhat right back in 2015 or 2014 to be picking it? Like, is the SEC really this good? Like Mississippi State, Old Miss, like I think ba- like Saban getting that Bama team with that quarterback play to, to the playoff at all was one of his best coaching jobs. Like, I don't think the sec was actually that great that year. Right. It just, mm. it had some, I, I'm just, I don't know. Like I, I agree with you, but I, I think we had, we've had some sugar bowls that really weren't that great kind of in the mid two thousands. And it was, for yeah. large part, because of how the sec was winning games, it was like all defense or occasionally, you know, blowouts. I, there were a lot of really good sugar bowls, in the nineties. I mean, a, a whole lot like at Alabama, Miami, where, where, where George Teague uh, strips um, uh, Teague takes the ball. Is that famous call? I forgot who is it. Ronnie. Uh, 
Not Ronnie Thomas. The, the, the guy the guy that, that he stripped the ball from in the Sugar Bowl uh, for Bama against Miami. But like Florida State, Florida, you know, they, 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 they played two out of three years. One of those went Florida State's ways. The other one probably should not have been played. Lamar um, Thomas. Lamar Thomas. There we go. Yeah. I mean, that, there were some really good games there in the 90s. I think it kind of flipped because of the style of play that was happening. I think the drunkest Sugar Bowl I was ever at was definitely 2002 when LSU beat Illinois 47 to 34. That's just <laughs> that's 2002 Tom in New Orleans. Kirk Kittner? Yep. Yep, okay. Ron Turner. Yep. The soberest <laughs> I've ever been in New Orleans for a Sugar Bowl was 2012 when Michigan beat Virginia Tech 23 to 20, but of course I was there for work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I thought that was just because you were hanging out with Michigan fans. Oh, yeah. I travel yeah. with Michigan fans everywhere they go. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, this is a, a response from our college football playoff discussion at the beginning of the week. So go and check that out if you didn't get a chance to. This is from Kyle. Uh, and we'll listen. Suggestions about the college football playoff have been right up there with conference realignment suggestions and many that we love and please continue to fill up our Apple reviews with all of them. We will pick them out. It is a continuing conversation that uh, this one stood out because it's a, it's a little bit wild. Want to see what y'all think. Hey guys, love the pod. Got switched once Barton and Bud died RIP and thoroughly enjoy the commentary. Here's my thought to the playoff solution and it's crazy, I know. All right, Kyle. Only division winners advance. Get rid of conference champions altogether. No need for at-larges. Win your division. Sure, non-conference games lose some power, but it keeps the regular season meaningful and makes the selection like a true draw. Names in a bowl would make for some crazy matchups. All right, I'll, I'll be the negative guy and just explain why this wouldn't work. Money. Um, th- these conferences make an absolute killing on like selling the rights to these conference championship games. Like the reason... You know, the SEC went first. It made a whole bunch of money on on its one, and then everybody else, all the other conferences, saw that, and they're like, "We're going to have them too." It's not to determine one true champion; it's to to you know cash one big check. So that's why this won't work. I'll I'll, I'll get out of the way now. I love that line. I might tweet that out right now. It's not to get one true champion; it's to get one big check. I love yes. it. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Um, I've campaigned the other way. Like, let's do away with divisions so that we can get the most competitive uh, conference championship games there that we can, even if it does mean a rematch. Like, so what? Like, it's great if we get rematches. It's great teams uh, that are playing against each other. Plus, I mean, you talk about the chances of a you know eight and three or eight and four team getting in or a nine and three team getting in, like if you start allowing division champs into a playoff, you're more likely to get that because of a one game upset. And it could be a really a division that's really bad. I mean, you know, you've had the big 10 West has been down at times. You've had the SEC East be kind of crappy. Sometimes you've had, like, I just think I'd rather do away with divisions than try to make it only division winners and, and, and not have conference champions. champions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like getting rid of divisions is smarter than making them even more important than they already are. I love that Danny's trying to get soccer out of his life, but his let's only bring the conference champions to the table and have a draw is very soccer. That's very, very close. (laughs) You know, you got your group winners and then we just have a draw and then we see what happens. Uh, All right. This next question comes from Valhalla. 
Uh, with FCS playing in the spring, I get to watch their games. Is this something they should keep doing? It gives media outlets a chance to preview the season and draw more attention to the season. I guess preview the upcoming season and draw more attention to the FCS season and more people get to watch it. How many fall Saturdays do I get to watch Chattanooga versus Wofford? I know it would make the draft process complicated for some players, but overall, would it make more sense? I was a big proponent of this uh, during the fall season, saying, hey, this is going to be great for the FCS. Probably oversold it somewhat. I mean, how many FCS games have you guys watched? You know, and we're diehard football fans. Zero. Yeah, not many. Um, watched like a quarter of the North Dakota State Southern Illinois game, but that was only because I found out Southern Illinois was winning. Right on Twitter, like it yeah. starts, you know, starts trending. I did the same thing. Uh, it was funny because I was, you know, we we're talking about our draft. I did talk to Nick Hill. We had him on the radio show and asked him this very question. And I've talked to Larry Scott, the coach at Howard. Um, you know, so I've talked to a couple of football coaches from the FCS about this. They're intrigued by it. I think what would make the world of difference is if you could get some network, whether it was ESPN or CBS or Fox, and say, all right, you guys really want to do this? Then we'll do it. You know, if you get a TV deal where all of a sudden you don't have to run to ESPN Plus or you don't have to find some buried deep Fox Sports, Southwestern, you know, whatever channel it is to find the highlight. Like, And I'm not saying you have to put it on CBS, you know, network on, you know, 330 prime window, but it's got to be a little bit easier to find. And if you did that, I think it'd be outstanding exposure, but barring that, I don't know if it makes that big a difference. And I was one that was pounding the table for it saying this could be really good for him. It just, it has to come with TV. You have to get the exposure of those games. And the way I, I, the way I look at it too is, how many times do we have to see spring football fail before we just kind of accept the fact that, hey, we all love football. It's the most popular sport in this country. It's just nobody wants it year round. Like there are other things that people do in the spring besides just watch football. There are other sports that people are interested in. A lot of football fans, but most football fans don't only just watch football. So you see these professional leagues start and they fail. If a professional spring league isn't a viable option, I don't know how an FCS football season would work. I think it could be like a niche sport. And I think that like Danny, you mentioned, if a, if a network came up and said, we'd give you the exposure and it wouldn't be like on a streaming platform. That's the thing. I think that the FCS, the, the people that you'd be marketing it to your customer base, I think that it would be, I think if it does happen, it would be a streaming service because I just feel like that's the one way it would work for them. It's just, I don't think spring football is going to work. We've got March madness. We've got the NBA. You've got the NHL. You've got baseball starting. It's like, it's obviously FCS is always still going to be overshadowed by the NFL and the FBS in the fall, but there are just as many other sports that are going to overshadow it in the spring as well. And if you think about, what, what are the only two sort of second level sports? Like, like we acknowledge that they are not as good, you know, player wise as, as the A grade sports that, that are as, actually successful in this country that people actually watch. It's football college football, basketball, college basketball. And why? Largely because it's been tradition for a hundred years. You have huge built in fan bases based on, on college affiliations and, and, you know, regional affiliations. Like, 
you don't have the tradition of people wanting to watch Notre Dame of the FCS, right? Like, it, it's just not there. People don't watch FCS. They don't watch AAA baseball. They don't watch the WNBA, right? I mean, some do, but, like, you know, the, the, the ratings of those things just aren't aren't high enough. And it's just not that good of a product. I, I, I don't think moving to the, to, the, uh, to the spring would would help it all that much. I mean, are you moving the other uh, sports at these universities, too? I mean, not to be the like ultra wonky guy, but what about the resources within these athletic departments that already might have like might negative have, fans show up for swimming? I mean, like they've like, how are you going to staff this football game? You know, how it is, it's just a, a lot to ask uh, on these universities. And I think that if, you know, he mentioned the, he or she mentioned the the draft and the question, but what about like player movement of an, a guy who's at FCS and wants to be up in power five? Like doesn't being uh, on the same calendar help you out just a little bit more at that stage too? So mm-hmm. I'll, I would imagine that this does end up being a, a one season only event. Uh, gentlemen, the time has arrived next week. Spring gleaning, baby. We are opening up the notebooks. We're breaking down the teams, division by division. ACC week next week. ACC boys in the house. Let's go. We'll decide. Uh, we will have one division, one episode for the Atlantic, one episode for the Coastal. Our burning questions because, like, spring practice is underway at Clemson, and I think there's maybe like three in total. We're at about three or four of the ACC teams actually have started uh, spring practice. So we've got a few notes and tidbits, and you know, pre-spring press conferences that we can chew on. But in general. We're going to address this as saying, like, what do we want to see answered? What is intriguing to us? Our burning questions, the conversations that interest us about all of these different Power 5 teams next week, Spring Gleaning, ACC edition. Make sure you keep your eyes out for it. Make sure you're always subscribed, stream, and follow on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.